Welcome to Citizens Midweek. It's a podcast for our church family in Charlotte, North Carolina, where we take a deeper look at this week's sermon. I'm your host, Jacob Kirby, joined again this week by our pastor and friend, Tim Olson. Here we go. This week at The Gathering, we started a new sermon series. We just wrapped up our 13 weeks in Ephesians, and this week we started a what's going to be a six-week series uh, talking about work and, you know, kind of distinguishing this series from the one we just did. The last series was a was a pretty slow and steady work through text, you know, textually through a book of the Bible, where this one is going to kind of be um, pulling the themes that exist throughout the canon of Scripture to kind of glean together. What does the Bible say about this thing? The Bible has a lot to say about work. It's not always in one concise passage. So just kind of taking a few weeks to look at what does the Bible have to say about work throughout the canon of Scripture. That might be helpful for us as we're trying to follow Jesus. So we just started that this week. Um, week one happened yesterday. Tim, you want to kind of give us a recap of, of this week's sermon? Yeah, totally. So we uh, kicked off by talking about, so each sermon in the series is you need a something. And so this week's was, you need a story. And so we kind of kicked off by saying that all of us are putting our work within some type of narrative or story. So I told the the story that uh, Pastor Tim Keller uses where he says, imagine you're in a park and someone comes up to you and they say, out of the blue, the women have the sandwiches. Now, immediately, you're going to put that statement into a story, into a narrative. And based around what narrative you put that statement into is going to actually affect how you respond and what you do next. And so if you think that person is a secret spy, and that's the code phrase, that's going to affect how you react, whatever that story may be. So we said the two main stories that all of us put our work into can typically be summarized into either uh, you work to live, meaning that work is a means to an end. It's a, it's a way to fund your leisure and your hobbies and your vacations, and you're just working for the weekend, or you live to work. Work is your everything. It's how you find your identity, your meaning, your value, all of that. And we said, instead, we need to put our work inside the story of God. And so we looked at Genesis 1, 26 through 28, and Genesis 2, 5 through 15, and talked about how um, the big picture of our work is that we are called to image God by having dominion over wherever he has put us. And there were kind of four aspects of reframing our work inside the story of God. The first is that we need to view work as a gift from God. Second, we need to view work as a good thing, not a bad thing. We said that work is cursed, so it has frustrations and uh, tough spots and annoyances, but it's not itself a curse. Work is a good thing. It's a gift from God. It's good for us. Third, we said that work is cultivation, that it's taking the raw materials of the world, bringing order out of that chaos, that it's joining God and creating something out of the chaos of the raw materials around us, whatever our jobs may be. And lastly, we said that work is ultimately joining God and taking the world somewhere to his desired ends. That as we look at uh, Revelation 21 and 22, the very end of the Bible, that we see a more beautiful, flourishing version of Genesis 1 and 2. That this time it's not a garden like the Garden of Eden, but it's a garden-like city. That we are still there with God, dwelling forever, doing what we were doing originally in Genesis 1 and 2. Having dominion, working, joining God, and being his image bearers perfectly without sin uh, in the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem, this beautiful city that awaits us. And so basically we talked about how in order for us to start thinking rightly about our work, to start building out a theology of work as followers of Jesus, that we don't need 
a new job. We don't need better coworkers. We don't need less frustrating hours. We don't need to even work in full-time ministry, but rather we need a new story. We need to put our work inside the story of God and to see whether we are a stay-at-home mom, whether we're a student, whether we're a barista, whether we're an accountant, whether we're an insurance salesman, whether we're a real estate agent, whatever we are, that we don't do that simply to do it. We don't do it to simply make a paycheck. We don't do it to simply get by in the world for 40 years until we retire. We do it as followers of Jesus, joining God and bringing order out of chaos and taking the world somewhere. Yeah, I thought, you know, with all that in mind, I think that's why, you know, especially the thing you just said at the end, that's why the third point was the thing that I liked the most, which was work is cultivation, just because the, trying to think about, you know, before this series, trying to think about what work means to a Christian. I think the word cultivation is always the word that's kind of stuck out to me is like, no matter what we're doing, we are called as Christians to participate in the cultivation of the world that God has given us. So, you know, helping people see what's your work. It's just to ask, what have you been given to cultivate? Because it might not always be a paycheck pursuing opportunity. It might not always be a nine to five. You know, it could, it could be cultivating, you know, the groups that you're leading. It could be cultivating the relationships that you have. It could be cultivating, you know, a discipleship model for the kids you're raising. It could be a lot of things that aren't a, a nine to five paycheck earning thing, but also, regardless of and regardless of if your job is ministry which for the most of us our jobs are not ministry you've still been given something to cultivate so you know seeing value in the things that you have to cultivate regardless of if it's ministry or a job specifically a paycheck or anything like that but yeah. yeah one of one of my deep desires in this series is thinking back to uh the reformation and so we think about the reformation in terms of uh like what it did for doctrines of salvation and soteriology and all that but it had a lot to do also for the elevation of the layperson uh, so one of the biggest things that martin luther wrote so much about and talked so much about is the idea that uh the clergy are not higher in the sight of god than the lay people because there was such a distinction there. I mean, even to the fact where like they didn't want lay people singing or reading the Bible on their own because they didn't think they could handle these truths of God's word. They thought that was only reserved for the clergy and the clergy had to tell the people of God what it said. Right. And the Reformation was huge in going, no, lay people, you know, the priesthood of all believers, like lay people have the spirit of God inside them. Well, too. There's only one God and one mediator. Yeah. And one of the ways it elevated lay people was through the elevation of their work. And so Martin Luther back in the, you know, in the Reformation age wrote so much about the necessity and the holiness of shoe cobblers and bakers and farmers and people that in those times were like, oh, these are those, you know, medial, meaningless jobs and the clergy have the good stuff. And rather he said, no, all of work is supposed to be done to the glory of God because all of it images and mirrors him and brings cultivation to the world, brings flourishing to other humans. And so I just love that. Like, I mean, one of the things he talked about was like the fact that like the, the greatest urge from the church to a, a shoe cobbler should not be just to, you know, don't get drunk on weekends and read your Bible and pray. But he says, you should first and foremost, urge them to follow Jesus in how they work, to be a good shoe cobbler, to do their work well, to the glory of God with joy and servitude and love for the neighbor. To do that the best that they can, to be the best that they're able to be. Yeah. You know. Anything that stood up particular to you while you were kind of preparing for this week's sermon, Tim? 
Yeah, a couple different things that um, a couple that were just kind of fun and that didn't make it in, but I thought were really fascinating. And then one that I think was just really helpful. So I uh, let's start with the really helpful. Sure. So I had a bunch of quotes, and so some quotes even got cut. Tim uh, with a bunch of quotes I in know, a sermon. Was, I mean, four was even a lot for me. Uh, but one of the things that that would really I just didn't have time to include about this idea of. Um, work or living to work, this idea of finding our identity in our work. So David Brooks is a a writer for the New York Times, and he wrote an article two years ago where he talks about uh, just what's kind of going on in our society. And I think it's so fascinating. Here's, Here's what he says. He says, the whole country is going through some sort of spiritual and emotional crisis. College mental health facilities are swamped, suicide rates are spiking, and at the root of it all is the following problem. We've created a culture based on lies. And then he goes into the rest of the article, just two years ago this whole article about all the different lies that we've built our society on and the number one lie he says is this career success is fulfilling this is the lie he says we foist on the young in their tender years we put the most privileged of them inside a college admissions process that puts achievement and status anxiety at the center of their lives that begins advertising's lifelong mantra if you make it life will be good Everybody who has actually tasted success can tell you that's not true. The truth is success spares you from the shame you might experience if you feel yourself a failure, but career success alone does not provide positive peace or fulfillment. If you build your life around it, your ambitions will always race out in front of what you've achieved, leaving you anxious and dissatisfied. So here's a guy who's not a believer, right, writing for the New York Times, and he says the number one lie of our society right now 2019 was when he wrote this, is that career success is fulfilling. And he says, hey, if you base your life around that, what you're going to find is that it's always going to be just out in front of you. It's always going to be with the next promotion. It's always going to be with the next raise. It's always going to be with the next career choice. It's always going to be with the next thing until you get to that final thing. And now it's just with retirement, (laughs) right? Which is true of all of life. We've talked about this before where, you know, when you're in middle school, you can't wait to get to high school, high school, college, college, till you graduate, start making money, whatever. But he just says, like, hey, this is a lie. Like, those of us who live to work, if we find all of our meaning and value and identity in our work, eventually it's going to continue to prove lacking and never actually give us what what we deserve or what we think we deserve. I've just always been kind of, not confused, but a little bit, maybe confused is the right word. I guess it's always been hard for me to pin down what it means for somebody to be fulfilled by work. Like, what it... I don't know, because I've certainly found my job meaningful before, and I've certainly found great enjoyment in my work in different seasons. But I guess it's hard for me to be, I don't know, to empathize with what people are looking for when they expect it to be fulfilling. Like, what does that word mean, and how does that intersect with that concept? Is it like, is it deep personal satisfaction, a deep contentment? Is it, is it a sense of achievement? You know, like, I don't know. What do you kind of think about that? What are people looking for and they look for it to be fulfilling? Yeah. So I think what's interesting with a lot of parts of life, um, Tim Keller talks about it with marriage and he says, one of the keys to learning to enjoy your marriage is by not seeing your marriage as uh, the self-sufficiency end all of your life. So he says like one of the things, if you, if you have a husband or a wife that you, uh, one of the ways you learn to enjoy them and to enjoy your marriage more fully is by not banking all of your happiness and joy on the marriage or on them. And so he says it's actually by releasing some of that grip from them having to give you value and meaning and worth and identity. You actually then learn to enjoy it and to take from it those things that you should Mm. value meaning identity and fulfillment and i think that to me is a really key thing with with work is that you can definitely go to the the wrong 
uh, over emphasis version of it, which is uh, work should not be fulfilling at all. It's just a means to an end. Yeah. You should just serve people, get on with it, make the paycheck. What really matters is worshiping God. Yeah. What really matters is showing up on Sundays. Sure. What really matters is sharing your faith. Like you're at your job for two reasons: to make money, to give to missions, and to tell people about Jesus <laughs> that are at your work. Right? Like those are like sure. That's definitely the the wrong response. Right? Like there needs to be some re- redemption to. Uh, ambition and the ideas of like going forward in our careers and having a good godly ambition that wants to succeed and wants to thrive and wants to flourish and wants to work up the chart for good godly reasons, not just so I can make more money to give more money away to missions, which is a good thing and we should do, but also to do good work to the glory of God. And so I think there's a way in which work can be fulfilling and yet not the end all fulfillment. And that's a really fine line to walk, right? To where you can go, all right, I... I'm a banker, right? Yeah. And I like my job as a banker. I get a lot of fulfillment out of helping people get loans, helping people finance their homes, helping people uh, start businesses, helping people make sure they have a good checking accounts and savings yeah, accounts, yeah. all this kind of stuff. I, I find that fulfilling in the ways that I am called to serve God and to serve my neighbor through this means. And yet I can't derive all of my identity from how I'm doing as a banker. And I think that might be really revealed based on our response when it doesn't go the way we want it to, when it doesn't, like when things aren't going well at work, are you equal, are you ruled by kind of the, the current of your job performance? Is it really great when you're doing really well and really terrible when you're not doing well, or maybe the company's not doing well, you know? Um, Cause I think as Christians, knowing that our identity and our fulfillment is ultimately in Christ, there should be some sort of like, I'm really thankful and glad that this is going as well as it is. And I'm going to be okay if it's not. Uh, And obviously that's easier said than done. We care a lot about the work we do. Like I want it to go really well. Um, But I think that's kind of the metric sometimes, isn't it? Like how are we when it's not awesome? (laughs) Yeah. And you got to be careful. I heard a pastor a few years ago say um, some Christians can't pass the test of poverty. Hmm. But some Christians can't t- pass the test of prosperity. Right. Right. Ooh. Like, so we got to be really careful of uh, sometimes it's easier to pray and to follow Jesus when stuff's tough. Yeah. Right. But when stuff's good, yeah. then I know my own heart of like, well, I don't really need right. to pray right now because I don't, you know what I mean? Like, it's stuff's some of that good. middle class I'm and chilling. spirit stuff we've Ex- talked about. Exactly. Before. It becomes hard to, so, you know, a little bit be careful what you wish for, you know, that comes along with um, achieving, with success, all of that, which is not a bad thing. To desire, right? We're going to talk about this um, a lot in the next couple of weeks of like working hard for right. the glory of God, like, you know, doing good service and good work, all of that. But I think asking the question is, what is the base level driving motivation factor behind my work? Yep. Is it the glory of God and the good of my neighbor? Or is it me feeling good about myself? Right, right, right. And selfish motivations versus uh, humble, other centered motivations, yeah, all of that. No, I think that's a really important impact, especially in the place that we live. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Where that's such a narrative. What are we going to dive deep on this week, Tim? Yeah, so I want to talk just a little bit more about um, the idea that work is a good thing. Hmm. That work is cursed, but not a curse. That work is a gift from God, that it is pre-fall given to Adam and Eve from God. And I think that that uh, that idea is just really fascinating to me. Uh, so one of the things 
if you kind of go deep into like creation narratives and creation stories, what you'll find is that throughout the ancient world, there were a number of different cultures yep. that had their own creation narratives, right? So we have our own ideas of that today, you know, with, with yeah, Darwin yeah. And, and all that. That's relatively new idea 150 years ago, but it's fine. We'll talk about that later. Um, but one of the old ancient creation narratives is the Babylonian narrative. And the Babylonian narrative, uh, the kind of center, what it was called, it's kind of, you know, our, if, if we call it as Christians, Genesis, like they would call it the Anuma Elish. And the Anuma Elish uh, has a kind of a similar story to Genesis one through three of how the, the world started and, and what happened. But what kind of happens in the Anuma Elish is that basically the ancient gods, because there was a ton of them, grew tired of working. Right. They, they created the world and they got tired of upkeeping it and maintaining it and keeping it moving and spinning. And so they went to uh, the king of the gods, whose name is Marduk. And Marduk said, hey, I got a solution for us. He says, what we're going to do is we're going to outsource the workload. Let's not have to keep things going anymore. Let's not have to keep the world spinning. Let's not have to keep everything updated and going. And so what Marduk does, he has this, this line in the Enuma Elish where he says this, I will establish a lowly primitive creature. Man <laughs> shall be his name. He shall be charged with the service of the gods that they might be at ease. And so this, along with a lot of other creation myths going on in the ancient world, tends to be kind of like the established idea where um, kind of throughout ancient history, we see this in Greece and in Rome, too. Uh, a lot of this is like that philosophy of Aristotle before uh, 300 years before Christ. All of that is this idea that the gods are tired and worn out. Right. They're tired of working that because they're gods, they shouldn't have to do meaningful or meaningless labor. They should just be able to chill and be at ease because ease is the highest ideal. Right, Comfort right. is the highest ideal. And so rather than the gods continuing to work and labor and hold anything together, they create this lowly primitive creature called mankind that they're going to outsource all of the work to and make them work. And, we don't now, certainly none of us in 2021, Charlotte, North Carolina would say anything along the lines of, well, you know, I have a creation narrative where it's Marduk, Enuma Ali, she never heard of it, but basically we're all working in service to the gods and this is all meaningless, right? But we act that way sometimes, right? That work is this evil thing imposed on us by these gods who don't do anything. Or capitalism or whatever. Or, or whatever yeah. the, the functional god might be. And we say, well, this is just something, the, the rat race, right? I just have to do this. This is something imposed on me that my ideal heaven on earth or heaven in heaven is me never having to labor me never having to work right yeah. retirement is the end goal there's this huge movement right now right of uh, retiring early right how right. early can i stop working right. how early can i stop having to work and the creation narrative says something totally different it doesn't put work rather into genesis 3 right right like it's not like okay adam and eve you ate the fruit you rebelled you messed up you sinned against god so now here's labor yeah. Here's work. Put you in the garden to work it and to keep it. Right. Notice he puts them in the garden to work it and to keep it in Genesis one and two in his very good design in how creation was meant to be is where work is given as a blessing. Blessings are this huge concept in the Old Testament over and over and over again. You have God or mankind blessing one another. It's they're saying uh, words of flourishing over someone, right? So if you were going to become a king, then the priest would come to you and he would pronounce blessing, right? When David got anointed as God's king, Samuel proposed blessing over him. He spoke blessing for his rulership and God 
blesses, speaks life and flourishing over Adam and Eve. And part of the blessing is dominion, right, right. is to work it, to keep it, to labor. And so work is not this frustrating thing that we do as a result of the fall. That's just this annoyance that's in the way of me enjoying life. It's not this thing that gets in the way of me having more time to do ministry or more time with my family or more time with whatever. It certainly can do that if we idolize it. But work is a gift from God given to us to labor well. And we talked about this on Sunday, but we feel this like at a deep level. Uh, if you've ever gone on like a longer sabbatical or a longer vacation, or if you've ever been unemployed for any amount of time, or, um, I mean, even I felt this in college with summer breaks, <laughs> there's a summer break where I had a month off in between my internship and my school. And there reaches this kind of point two or three weeks into that month off where it's like, I should be doing something <laughs> like I should have right. a labor to give myself to. Like there's just something within us created in the image of God that wants to work. And so there's two things that are off in the Enuma Elish narrative of creation. The one thing that is off is that God ceased to work. Yeah. Right? God is always working. God is always moving. God doesn't stop working when he hands off work to Adam and Eve, right? He's always been working. He's always been moving. He's always been holding things together. We see that all over the book of Acts, 1 Corinthians, Romans, that God holds all things together, that he, uh, we don't believe in uh, the deism watch clock God, right? Where yeah, he created right, the world, right. sits it back, lets it spin and lets it go. We believe in a God who's active, moving, working, doing things in our world always. So that's wrong, right? With Enuma Elish. The second thing that's wrong with that narrative is that work is this thing handed off because gods didn't want to do it anymore. Yeah. Right. The, Disinterest no, or something. Yeah, the creator yeah. God, the one creator God hands work as a gift to humanity to step into in their labors. And I think too, you know, I've been listening to the Bible project a lot recently and they were kind of talking about how the the narrative of the Genesis creation story is the narrative of God bringing order from chaos and how, you know, the way that we're invited to work and labor is to join God in doing the same thing. Like if, if God is a God who brings order from chaos, the call to work is actually a really honorable, you know, blessing, a really privileged blessing that we have to be invited into what God is doing, to be to be image bearers of God by participating in this this order from chaos, which I think, I mean, makes it sound very epic. It sounds very exciting when you say it that way. But we don't always, like you said, we don't we don't always superimpose that story over the specifics of what I'm doing. Like, you know, selling houses doesn't always feel like order from chaos. But, um, you know, so just kind of recognizing, well, what are the narratives we're telling ourselves about what we do and why we do it and who we do it for? I mean, that's what that Richard Pratt quote that we shared on Sunday is so good, where he says it's a privileged commission from a great king. Right. Right. And that, I think that if we get our kingship in order with who God is actually Ooh, is get king, your kingship in order, I get like your kingship that. in order, uh, then we can start actually viewing it that way. Right. That that my opportunity to go and show some homes to someone right. to work with a buyer and to help them get a home to move into and to settle in is a privileged commission from our great king. And that even undercuts. I don't want to get into Garrison's sermon too much, but that even undercuts some of this idea of calling. Right. Where it's like, no, you're called by God to be where he has placed you. Like where you are is where he has called you. And so you got to start viewing it as a privileged commission. You know, me waking up at 7 a.m. to take care of my kid, to change diapers and feed them and uh, keep them alive all day is a privileged commission, right? My, and so I think, you know, even if we can just de-spiritualize, I know this is my, my, like my, my big thing right now, but if we could just de-spiritualize this idea of, of ministry, right? This idea of like, oh, well, people that are in full-time ministry, they have the privileged commission from the King. Now, certainly full-time ministry is, is a big deal, right? And, uh, those who serve as in ministry are worthy of honor, but 
all of us, regardless of what type of work we have, you know, quote unquote, the secular work or the, the spiritual work, the sacred work, which I would argue all work is sacred work, that all of it is a privileged commission from the king, whether it's uh, as a janitor or as a pastor or a banker or a lawyer, whatever job you have, seeing it as, as a follower of Jesus, this is a privileged commission. This is where God has placed me. Right. Acts 17, he has put me here so that I would reach out and find him and find that, I, that he is not far from any right, of us. Right, that's really good. Cool. Anything else you want to leave us with? Any final thoughts for today, Tim? Yeah, we uh, introduced some questions in the sermon. They're on the sermon manuscript as well as the CG discussion guide on uh, our website, citizenscharlotte.com backslash work. Uh, so I would highly encourage you to check those out, to um, work through those, process through those. Don't just, uh, the temptation in our hearts is going to be, he meant every work but mine. And that's just not true. Like that's going to be the temptation is he, he gave so many examples, but he didn't give my work example. And so that means my work is not a privileged commission. And it's like, unless your work is one of the bad jobs we talked about, your work is a privileged commission from the King. And so get, get those, those questions, work through them, wrestle through them in community, all of that. The second thing really, really, really would recommend you pick up every good endeavor by Tim Keller. Uh, we have a number of our folks who are starting to read it that have texted me like, Hey man, this book is gold. Like it, I genuinely, you can read through it in six weeks, read through it alongside the sermon series. Um, I think it'd be so helpful to continue to kind of branch out a theology of work yeah, for you. It's cool. Uh, I thought it was funny last night. I kept hearing like, no matter what combination of jobs you gave insurance always snuck back in. And that's because we have like six or seven people that all so work many. for the same company. So many. <laughs> like they're I all make sure we got to hit, right, we got to hit insurance. Cause that's Have a large to. percentage of our congregation. Yeah, that's funny. That's exciting. We're really thankful um, just for the way we started and, you know, to kind of see this pan out of the next few weeks. But um, that's all the time we have for today. So we'll catch you next time on the Citizen Mimic. See you next time.